managing the team and, and managing the workload is, is, is a huge um, challenge um, that I'm still kind of trying to battle with all the time. But the team are absolutely amazing. I couldn't ask for a better, more hardworking team. They, they really love what we're doing, which is, I think, quite hard to find. Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, brought to you by Startup U, inspiring, educating, and connecting the startup community to help you make a full-time living doing what you love. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, Virgin mentor, and founder of Startup U, the regional delivery partner for Virgin Startup. Each episode provides the story of an entrepreneur who talks us through their successes and failures. You get to take on board all of their learnings and none of the failure. This podcast is brought to you by Barclays Eagle Labs. National Network of Eagle Labs provides entrepreneurs, individuals, and ambitious businesses with the space, tools, and confidence to innovate and scale. Barclays offers co-working and office space, structured mentoring, events designed to help businesses grow, industry and corporate transformation, and access to new and emerging technologies. To date, they have 18 locations, helping 378 businesses with 1,380 co-workers. Go to labs.uk.barclays. Welcome to episode 99 of Screw It, Just Do It. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell. And on today's show, I welcome Charlotte Sweet, founder of Sewn Right. Before we move on to my chat with Charlotte, um, what I'd like to say is that all of our live Scriptures Do It events for the first quarter of the year are now up on both the Startup U Facebook page, um, the website, and also the Eventbrite profile page. So we've got live events in Bournemouth, London, Manchester. We've changed the format so that as well as the evening events during the day, we're going to have more of a hands-on masterclass for those of you who prefer uh, that format or would like that in addition to the inspirational events that we have in the evening. And also, I couldn't wait till autumn 2019 for our next summit, Startup at Scale Summit. So what um, I've decided to do in the meantime um, is to launch our first ever spring training so we've got spring training 2019, March 29th. Uh, so on a Friday, so take the day off for you to work on your business, not in your business. Um, got a special offer that's going to expire in seven days, um, which is basically 75% off the full price. Um, again, screw it, just do it. Listeners will know by now you enter screw it, just do it into the promo code. You get an additional 20% off. For the first 50 people who grab a ticket and people that have already bought tickets, you get bonuses totaling £200 plus. So that includes the accountability of a follow-up coaching call after the event from myself, um, 50% off the summit in the autumn of this year, a complimentary ticket to any of our masterclasses which is £99 value, uh, a complimentary ticket to one of our live evening meetups, which is £15 value. Um, 
which is pretty damn good considering tickets are less than £50. So bonus is over £200 for the first 50 people who sign up to join us. And and where this differs, we've taken feedback um, from the first summit, which was a resounding success. Um, and we're offering more hands-on stuff for you guys. So masterclasses covering everything from brand building, business planning, funding, investment, PR, marketing, lead generation, strategy, vision, financial forecasting, legal advice, recruiting, team building, as well as using technology to automate and future-proof your business. Um, For the first time, you'll also get to spend time with our Virgin Startup Mentors to answer your individual questions and interacting more with our speakers and masterclass hosts throughout the day. You get a screw it, just do it workbook, full lunch, complimentary refreshments throughout the day. So um, shaping up to be an absolutely amazing day. Um, to find more up-to-date information as we announce the hosts for the masterclasses um, through, throughout the day, you just need to, to follow um, us on Facebook, which is through the Startup U page. Um, I'm going to address that in the new year and get a dedicated screw it, just do it um, page up as well build more of a community page around that because we've definitely got the the offline community building with the live events um podcast is obviously the the online arm of that we're now in 96 countries would love to get to 100 countries in um by the new year so if you know anybody in another country i'm not going to list all 96 now uh, but maybe i should do a post with that and you could see if you've got any friends in the countries where we don't but um please share um the subscription link for people to join the show and listen to it. I'd love to get to a hundred countries, like I say. Um, so I would love to see you at a live event. If you haven't been to one of our 2019 events, we did over 25 live events, which is pretty epic. Um, we're coming up to a hundred episodes of the podcast. So I think spring training is a really great opportunity for you to spend a day working on your business, uh, making sure that 2019 really is your year. Um, and as a heads up, episode 100 um, is going to be myself and we're going to be planning out, uh, we're going to be reviewing 2018, we're going to be planning 2019, or you're going to be doing that and I'm going to be leading you on that to make sure that it really is your best year ever. So next week, we're going to be getting ahead of the game before Christmas, before New Year, um, and we'll be getting set up for 2019 in the right way. So without further ado, um, I'm going to talk about um, Charlotte Sweet from Sewn Right. Now, Charlotte um, set up, left a job in luxury fashion to start her own business, which is Sewn Right. That was three years ago um, in early 2015. She was inspired by her grandmother, a lifelong seamstress, and Charlotte set out to change the way the world views sewing, driven by a love of fashion Driven by a frustration with a lack of innovation in her industry, Sewn Right was born. Um, when she started out, very much like many of you listening to this, she was working three different jobs. She spotted a gap in the market. Um, alterations were, were either being done by high-end Savile Row tailors or being done by local dry cleaners, but no one was offering a modern alterations service. So she spotted a gap. She seized the opportunity There was the screw it, just do it moment or a number of those moments. Um, And now she's in charge of a thriving business in from a studio in West London. 
Um, she's got a great story. I've met her a couple of times. She's a lovely girl. Um, and I hope you really enjoy this story um, as well. So let's start up. Okay, so Charlotte, tell me, um, when did you start your business and what was the the inspiration for doing it? Was it one of those kind of seminal moments, you know, screw it, just do it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for it? Or was it more of a, a build up over time that you then decided to, to take the plunge? It was actually um, very much a kind of split idea. I, I worked for a luxury um, online retailer called Net-A-Porter, mm-hmm. um, and they're amazing. I worked for them for about four years um, as their seamstress, and there was only two of us. So it was quite, I had quite a lot of responsibility, and I couldn't really go any higher than what I'd got to there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And at this stage, I think I was 22, 23, and just maybe not 23 yet, but anyway. And um, my uh, fiance had has his own company and uh, my dad has his own business as well. So okay. I always liked the idea of having doing my own thing. And um, I rung um, Ed one day after work and said, I think I want to start my own business. Um, hmm. I've got an idea. And, and it kind of started from there. We, um, I, we At Netaporte, we started a tailoring service that I sort of helped to create with my fellow seamstress and we'd go and visit, um, VIP clients and offer them, um, tailoring. So we'd pin their trousers or whatever they've ordered in their office or at home in London. And then we'd bring it back to the studio, uh, to the warehouse rather. And, um, we'd sew it and then it would get dropped back. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was only available to people that spent over, I think 10 or 15,000 every three months. Wow. Okay. And I just <laughs> felt like there was so, so many people were so res- like responsive to it and really liked what we were offering. Mm. But I felt like, well, why do you, other people have money just because you don't spend that much doesn't yeah. mean you can't afford it and you, you shouldn't be offered that kind of luxury service. Mm. So, um, that was kind of, that they actually then stopped the service cause it wasn't as popular, which in, it makes sense because who, how many people realistically can spend that much. But mm. so, um, Ed and I kind of put our heads together and, um, yeah, I came up with the idea of us going around, you know, driving around visiting people's houses. And that was actually, it's cha- the business has changed quite a lot, which is funny. I think speaking to other business owners that tends to happen you come yeah. up with one idea and then as it as it grows as your team grow as your you kind of see where the money comes from and you see what people like and it can morph a little bit and change yeah uh, so that's kind of what's happened a little bit but we still do very much go to people's houses um we have <laughs> we have put a cap in place because i'm very like uh probably a bit too nice and probably a bit too um uh soft I'd say and Mm. I go to people's houses that say they lived uh, I live in Wandsworth say they lived in I don't know north London somewhere quite far away I traveled once an hour and a half on the tube to to shorten a pair of jeans which no yeah you got got to draw the line somewhere yeah yeah yeah. so um we have a cap now where they have to spend 150 pounds worth of alterations but then they get they get the home fitting for free and we drop it off for free as well so yeah um, yeah yeah. <laughs> that, 
now that that makes sense because I think come back from like a, a fitness background and, and work with loads of different like fitness professionals. It was like if you were doing a personal training session, how far would you travel to go and see that person before it actually doesn't make financial sense? Despite you being you know far too nice about it and just wanting to help that person uh, reach their goal, but it comes a point where yeah, if you if you're traveling over, I always used to say if it was kind of over forty five minutes an hour, and then mm. if you hit the traffic and it was something else, it was just like right, this is ceasing to be worthwhile anymore really totally i think the like really important thing following on from that is if anybody is listening and thinks like i want to do my own thing i i I would really encourage people to to not think of the money at first absolutely yeah yeah um, i i really believe that me going and traveling that far not only did it show to me that okay just because I live in Wandsworth doesn't mean that it's proven the concept. People want me to mm-hmm. go and see them. So that's that's one thing that's ticked. Yeah. But also that people like work like are like they value your you coming into their home and, and they'll tell people about it. And that's that's more that's you get more from that financially in the long run than you losing thirty pounds or however much you've lost at mm. the beginning. And um like, for example, when people have a product and they give out samples, like, yes, you are losing money, but the only way for you to get your product out there or your service out there is to kind of give people a bit of a taster and show people why it's worthy and why it's great and why they should keep using you. Mm. And people love samples. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what was the initial reaction to saying um, both your father and your, your fiancé um, – had their own businesses as well. What was the what was the initial reaction from both of them? Was it a positive one, or was there any kind of caveats to that? One hundred percent positive. I can remember standing at the bus stop, ringing Ed to tell him, and he said, "Okay, great, let's do it. We can have a chat about it tonight." And I think that night we, uh, I don't know if we came up with the name or if we just created like a business. We did something. I can't remember what, but we kind of straight away started thinking of ideas. My dad, just as just as positive, also was obviously wary. Ed and I had moved in together mm. not that long previous. Um, and he said, you know, don't forget about your rent. So I went um, part-time at Net-A-Porter, which they're really supportive of. They didn't want me to leave, which was so lovely. And so I went down to I think it was two days a week and then I also um so I was working from uh, our flat so I, I bought I went out I went and bought used my wages to go and buy um three sewing machines and and uh, like a decent iron and set it up in our flat which Ed was very very supportive of and helped carry up we've got a few quite a few stairs in our flat <laughs> so interesting trying to ca- carry an industrial machine <laughs> A um, few swear words and a couple of arguments, but that's fine. Yeah. And um, yeah, it kind of it started there, and yeah. <laughs> and and had sewing always been a passion of yours? Was it something that, um, like, from a little girl that you'd been brought up doing? Yeah, absolutely. So my okay. um, absolute favourite person in the whole world is my nanny sweet, um, and. She um, is nine. She's going to be ninety-eight in April. Um, wow! So she's amazing. Yeah, she's mm. amazing, and um, she has been a seamstress all of her life. And um, when I was growing up, my sister and I would go and pick up pins on her floor in her little workroom. And I've always just kind of—it's not been like an unusual thing. It's always kind of been around me, and and I see her working really late. And yeah, so she's definitely been like 
a real inspiration for me and taught me basically how to sew. So I, I studied, I took textiles in school and made a cushion and I wasn't the best in school. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I, I wasn't, um, my constant feedback in school was that I get distracted very easily and I distract others. So, um, <laughs> I, I wasn't the best and I made a cushion and I focused so, so much on it and I loved it. And then I thought, Oh, this is interesting. And I probably was then what, like 13, 12, 13. And, mm-hmm. um, so then I went to go and visit my nan. She lived, um, like an hour and a half away, but whenever my dad would drop me down there, I'd, I'd go and get a train down there and I'd make stuff with her. So to wear out that night. So, um, things like coats and dresses and, and different things basically to whether it was to wear it on a night out on the town as I got a bit older or, um, just to wear, because I create little projects that I'd yeah. And looking back now, they were pretty terrible. But anyway, that's, <laughs> the, whole, that's the whole point, right? Yeah, uh, exactly. And then, yeah, then I kind of, I, I finished school and um, went to college. And it, one of my college projects was to make a wedding gown. So I kind ah. of took it one step further and I made a wedding gown and then like a day after dress, which my nan helped me with. And I loved it. I loved it so much. And, and then from there went to I actually had a year out and I saved. Um, I didn't get into the uni that I wanted to get into, which actually now in hindsight was a blessing because the uni is amazing, but it's just not reflective of me and my personality at all. Mm. Um, So I think fate played a part there. But um, So I took a year out and worked in Bournemouth doing pretty terrible sales jobs in call centres and saved um, a load of money and... um, yeah, moved up to London and started university. Yeah. Oh, so that was so you took a year out and then you sort of went through clearing or went went for different options at at, at uni. Yeah, I just applied. Same I, the as year me. After, yeah. I I like just thought, okay, don't just apply to the like the best one because you think it's the best one. Like actually, take a step back and think about what your what your what you want to do and what's what's. I wanted to sew. I didn't want to be a designer. So I thought, okay, let me have a look at really, really great unis that specialize in fashion for for construction rather than just to be a designer or, you know. And, um, yeah, I went to Ravensbourne in in actually it's in North Greenwich now, but it was in Chiswick at the time. Um, And I did a two-year course um, and I got a – can't remember what the qualification is now but it was basically like a foundation degree it wasn't actually a whole three three year um full degree mm-hmm. and I did really well and I really got on with the tutors and um I I was asked to go on like you had the option of doing your third like the top up year which would then give you the whole degree I don't even know how bad is this I don't even know the name of the the name of the degree but anyway um <laughs> And I decided that I'd learned all I could. I, I knew everything I, I could know. I didn't feel like spending another fifteen, twenty thousand pounds actually would get me any further. And and I decided that because I in the summer I applied for Selfridges in their fashion workroom and I got the job and thought, okay. I can either go back to uni and, and spend another X amount of thousands and have another collection. Cause this, cause this course was a two year course mm-hmm. to create a collection at the end of the two years, which you don't do if you're on the three year course, you just do a project. Right. So I already kind of felt like I'd been thrown in the deep end and had to create 
a collection. Mm-hmm. So I felt like, well, I'd just be doing it again and spending more money, but kind of, anyway, I think it was the best decision that I made. And, and everyone is different with uni. Like some people have the most amazing time and, um, you know, would, would do it all over again. And, yeah. and I actually, I'm a bit more of a doer. I'd much rather actually work. I've been working since I think I had my first job when I was 12. <laughs> really? I need to tell my daughter that. Okay. I'm going to write that down. Um, <laughs> She's 11. Right. <laughs> um, but what was great from, from I, I got on well with the uni tutors. And then when I started Sonrite, when I went part-time at Netaporte, I also got a call from one of the, the, well, basically the lady that taught me, um, how to sew well not how to sew but to how to continue sewing and to kind of develop my skills at uni she called me and said would you like to share my job with me I, I need to go part-time oh. so I was doing when I started sewing right in the first year I was working for Netaporte and I was teaching students part-time and I was doing sewing right as well awesome. so which was great yeah. Yeah. And so so really looking back, one of those few people I suppose that has always known what they want to do and uh, you you'd be able to tell me but you're pretty much doing it I'd say. Yeah, I think um I I would say I've always known what I want to do in in a sense of if you're being very kind of um black or white uh, as in I I didn't know that I wanted to create um a sewing company and that I would have a team of staff and that we were hoping to go into other um, mm. cities and country. Uh, I didn't know that at the time. I just knew I love sewing and this is what I want to do. It feels right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then it, it just kind of, as you grow and as you develop and, and as you meet more people and yeah, as you grow, literally, I felt that's kind of developed more with as I've developed, if that makes sense. And, and at what point did you... I mean, can you remember when you started out and it was just yourself and you, you know, lugging those um, sewing machines up the stairs? Was the vision always to to have a team, or was it literally just to be yourself, the one person in that company? And then fate has just conspired to actually more and more work means that you have to take people on. How's it kind of panned out? Yeah, I think at that very at that very moment, I thought right, how can I smash it? How can I get like the best clients? How can, what can I do? Mm. And then I think as, um, as I kind of pushed further and more time went on and, and, um, I got more clients, then I kind of thought, well, hang on, like there's only physically so much that I can sew and there's only physically so much that I can do and deliver. And, and there's only so many fittings that I can do in a week, in a month. So then I, I knew that I needed to, to, to allow, to allow me to get more clients. Um, I knew that I needed to get more people to help me to sew. Mm. Um, and then I got a studio from there. So I, we moved out of our, well, I wouldn't, we, we actually still live in our same flat now, but, um, we moved the machinery out of our flat and into a shared studio with, um, the lady that I shared the job with at the uni. So I finished working with her at the university, but I, we shared a, a studio together um, for a little while, probably for about not probably six months. And, and then again, like the, we got more and more clients. I had more and more people starting to, I, at one point it was, you know, one seamstress and then I had two seamstresses and two interns. And then it got, I felt like I was, I 
we'd agreed to sort of have half the week me there and half the week her there. And I, I felt like I needed to be there all the time. And, mm. and actually it's not fair to kind of uh, be only paying half the rent and share half the space, but be there too much. So we moved ne- literally next door, but um, into our own unit, which was good. And how many people have you, have you got now? Have you grown it? And what kind of time scale have you, have you done that in? So in terms of, um, actual working staff. There is 10 of us and we've got a very lovely driver um, who yeah, well, literally does deliveries and collections. So he's not in our studio as such, but yeah. um, he's sort of out and about. And then we have probably about three, no, four really good freelancers that come with us, uh, come to work with us, whether that's one day a week or sometimes in the peak summer, five days a week. Um, so yeah, there's in total there's probably about fifteen people, but not not all not all the time, if that makes sense. And do, do you still do the recruitment yourself when you when you're choosing people, or do, have you managed to, to outsource that or get get help with that? Because that's often one of the biggest frustrations or challenges, should I say, that um, the entrepreneurs you know tell me when they when they start a business. You know, I didn't start a business to become an an HR consultant, but inevitably. Um, if, you know, you end up making, especially those first few hirings, but as, as things grow, do you outsource that or do you still take control of that? We still very much do um, everything in, in, in our studio. So um, whether it's, um, we actually have a permanent sort of job um, position available on our website just because I think it's always exciting to, for people to have a look on our website. They obviously like us enough to go on our website and then they've then had a look to see if there are jobs available. So even though we're not actively recruiting all the time, we yeah. still have that up. Um, and I'm always intrigued to see who, who applies, Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we still do it all in house. And, um, I, I think at one point, a couple of people that we've employed, I haven't interviewed myself and actually I've realized that that is uh, a couple of people I've had to unfortunately let go mm-hmm. that have been people that I haven't interviewed. And, and actually uh, that's not. I've realized now it's a lesson learned. I, I need to be the, it's, it's, it's my company and I have certain expectations and I want people to work a certain way, mm. but how are they supposed to do that if I'm not actually interviewing them and telling them from that from the beginning? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I've, I'm trying to be a bit more, um, hands on with that, but it does take so much time and emails can go back and forth. There can be a week or two in between, um, interviewing people and, and, you know, the next interview and then them coming in on their, on their first day. I, I've learned quite a few lessons in the last year, which is that you always give them like a proper induction. So mm. they, uh, we've created now a little kind of um, work pack that when they come in, we get them to have a read through, sign it to say that they've read it. And it kind of just gives them an insight into what we've done, who we are, um, what we offer, what's like local and amenities around our studio we've got a little cafe that's on site and um because we we work in a workspace um building so there's lots of other like cool businesses around us as well um and just to kind of give them uh well to welcome them and to make them feel comfortable like i know now i haven't been a new person in a in a business for so long but it's scary and Mm. and you don't. You feel embarrassed to ask if you can have a cup of tea or if you <laughs> yeah. go to the loo. Like and, yeah, and yeah. just making people feel welcome. I, I think that's really, really important so that they feel like they're part of our team straight away. And and any questions that they've got, I hate it when people start and they don't. They do something wrong, not mm. because they've done it wrong, but because they don't 
ask because they're not sure and yeah. they don't, they're still afraid to ask. Mm. And I always say to people, like, don't be afraid to ask us. That once we've answered that question, you won't need to ask it again, I'm sure. So just ask it and then you won't do it wrong. <laughs> and, and I think something you mentioned at the beginning there, um, I think everybody should have like an active job on their website so that you're always attracting new talent because how many people like you say who are interested in in what you're doing attracted to what you're doing and might visit your website might visit your, your social pages and and have a look and if there's there's nothing there Definitely. they'll go somewhere else but you never know if you can you know when the opportunity arises that it, it can be quite short notice i know myself that you literally go right we need to get somebody in in the next you know next quarter so we need to start hiring right now and if you've got that talent coming through then you already got people on your radar yeah exactly and I think that's the other lesson that I've realized in the last year with how crazy and busy our summer has been is that we've we've been trying to recruit or get people from an agency like the week that we need people and that is just the worst thing to do because you're not gonna like I was saying to you earlier you're not going to how, for anyone to be really great and decent, they're probably already in good jobs. So yeah. you, you need to spend the time before you need them to get them. And um, getting people from agency, I've, I've had quite a few bad um, people from agencies that obviously is fine. You can call the agency and say, look, they're not, they're not quite cutting it. And then they don't come back the next day. Um, but it's still time taken. You're paying a, quite a premium to have um, someone from agency come and visit you and work for the day. So you want them to be really great. And quite often I find, I find people in recruitment and I find people in, um, like temping, um, agencies kind of, um, not to swear. What other, other word can I use? They kind of <laughs> full of, full of, um, Hot air? No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they often say that people are absolutely amazing, have all this experience. They're so, 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 so great. And then when they come, they seem they are very, very different to what they what they've been sold as. Right. Um, I found that as well before I started um, Sonrite. I was offered a job um, for Chanel, like, and I went for an uh, interview. And what the recruiter had told me, like, sounded absolutely amazing, how I'd be going to Paris and hmm. all these exciting things. And, and then when I went to actually to the first um, interview, it was very, 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 very different. And they were like, no, we, we don't do that. We don't send, you know, it's only our top blah, blah, oh. that goes. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Expectation and reality. Boom. Yeah. Mm. And, and is been building a team um at the same time as the volume of work increasing being your, your biggest challenge um in the last year or last year yeah. or so or, or or other challenges that uh, we haven't talked about i think the biggest challenge definitely uh, since i began was kind of teaching myself to become a manager um and to manage time with that as well so yeah. um i get on with I absolutely adore my team and I think that's probably my problem sometimes is that I I, I get on with people like get on with them so so I find I find it hard if they've done something wrong to tell them off mm. <laughs> and obviously you can't just go along being like super nice all the time and oh don't worry because at the end of the day it always falls on me I'm yeah. I'm the owner and especially as we grow the the implications get bigger and the damages can be really really like terrible for our business if something goes wrong and 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 I think that's 
what I, I I'm gro- I'm growing and I'm trying like all the time to um to to tell people off in the right way because I otherwise I'll just end up like, kind of holding it in and getting annoyed in my head and then being in a bad mood. So mm. it's better to kind of just take people to one side and just tell them why you're disappointed. I think that's the key word. <laughs> when my yeah. dad say to me, I'm disappointed in you, I'd be like, oh. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, absolutely. I see that, like speaking to my daughters as well, you just see like the head drop, the shoulders drop, and it's like, oh no, it's like the worst yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, in answer to your question, definitely. I think um, managing managing the team and, and managing the workload is, is, is a huge um, challenge um, that I'm still kind of trying to battle with all the time but the team mm. are absolutely amazing i couldn't ask for a better more hard-working team they they really love what we're doing which is i think quite hard to find mm. yeah it's fine absolutely especially when you're you know starting out and then you're, you're trying to scale the business people who actually buy into your vision because not everyone's going to do that a lot of people just want to go and work for you know a big company where they're i don't know pretty pretty uh, i don't know just fit in with the crowd really i suppose um rather than you know buying into that vision and actually the the excitement of building that brand as well um not everyone's kind of cut out for that no definitely i i agree i I think if if you want to float along and um get paid decent and um not not make much of an impact then go and work somewhere like in terms of um sewing like go and work my old job at Nest Forte was that I I I I was paid very well and I I didn't have much responsibility I I I couldn't go any higher up but then I also there wasn't I kind of I could easily go at half past four I'd do eight till four thirty I'd be out the door I'd be gone no worries whereas I wanted more than that I wanted to have that responsibility I wanted to kind of like make a change um in 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 not just in like fashion but in terms of sewing I kind of felt like I'd go to turn up to fittings and and people would do a double take and look so shocked that I was 22 23 Mm. they'd expect like a 60 year old to turn up if not older yeah and they doubt my they doubt my skill and they doubt what I was saying to them and and I wanted to change that I wanted people to believe in in me and what what I'm trying to do and do you feel they do now? You feel comfortable? Yeah, definitely. I think that now I struggle with people want to see me to do their fittings all the time, and I, I can't. I can't. Yeah. Visit. We've got a team now, so it's trying to. It's obviously then you have to take time to train your staff to make sure that they're speaking the way that you do, and that they're mini, not mini versions of me. That's a stupid thing to say, but um, they have like my way of talking to people, which is our not not my, but the sewn right way of talking to people, which is very friendly, um, professional, but we're, we're always like, what the word is personable. I think like we're, Mm -hmm. we're there to to help people and, and, um, we can't do enough basically to help people and, and, and give them our advice and tips and make, make whatever it is 10 times better than what it is. Mm. And, and last question, cause I know you got busy into the week, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> interested to know. So both of you, you and Ed, your, your fiance living together, both um, very much in, in growth, scaling up mode with your businesses. And now you've got a wedding to organize 2019 as well. What's work-life balance like? And then any tips on how you're able to make that work and, and keep barriers uh, separate? Or, or are you one of these couples that 
like 11 o'clock at night you're going to bed and you're still throwing your ideas at each other <laughs> um, it's definitely the latter um, yeah I, I I wish I could give some sort of words of wisdom here but I, I I'm all I can say is I'm very very fortunate to have met someone who's so like-minded to me and, and actually pushes me more than I ever could, like thought that I could be pushed and we very much balance balance each other out. I, I'm the sort of person I will keep on working until it's I've done quite a few 4 a.m. like I start at say 7 a.m. and we finish at 4 a.m. The, the next day this this summer gone wow. and, and Ed will be there laying on the sofa and asleep in the studio there with me um, which isn't normal <laughs> so <laughs> I, I wish that I had some like um words of wisdom but I don't but yeah I, I feel very very lucky and we we definitely do throw around new ideas at sort of 11 12 o'clock in the evening <laughs> I think, I think um, I'll buy you an off button as your wedding present for the two of you then yeah <laughs> <laughs> love it um well, thank you and watch the let me always forget um people want to connect with you want to find out a little bit more about sewn right um what's the easiest way for them to do that so we have um, our website, so there's um, some bits on there and our Instagram and um, you can follow us on there and, or, well, to be honest, any anytime anyone wants to have, if there's not any, if there's more information they want that they can't find on our website or on our Instagram or Facebook, then feel free to um, drop, drop me a message um, on the website and um, we can reply. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Um, have a great rest of the week. Thank you so much. You too, Alex. Good speaking to you. So I hope you enjoyed that chat with Charlotte from Sewn Right. Um, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, we'd love to see you all just announced our whole lineup um, for the early part of 2019 for Q1, including our first ever spring training in Bournemouth, March 29th. Um, first 50 people who grab a ticket for this, um, we'll get bonuses totaling over £200. So just go over to either the Startup You Facebook page or the website or the Eventbrite page. Three destinations where you can purchase a ticket to be one of those first 50 people, which includes a um, follow-up call with myself, um, some additional accountability. So a couple of things to take away from, from my interview with Charlotte. Um, hiring always massively important when starting a business, you know, especially your first hire. Um, but as you're scaling and growing the business as well, and Charlotte come to the conclusion that she needs to be in control of that process um, at the stage she's at with something like 15 people as part of the team. Something you you want to look at yourself, and, and again, I strongly recommend in the early days you know, that it's you who takes control of that, that you take accountability for um, who's working in your business, for the culture that um, you want to cultivate within that. Um, massively important. Don't want to get it wrong. Um, things can quickly spiral out of control with the wrong hiring processes uh, in place. And, and having a process as you move forward, you know, once person, somebody's taken that first role, writing the handbook to that role so then we can then hand that on to the next person who, who comes in at that role as well 
Um, a great example, you know, it doesn't matter how small you start in, in a very short period of time. Charlotte scaled this business to, to 15 people um, working as part of the team. Started off with a self and three sewing machines. So you can you can do it quickly if that's the route you want to go. If you see an opportunity and you want to seize it quickly, you can also grow, you know, organically um, far slower than that if you, if you decide to do that. Um, but, you know, she spotted a gap in the market. Um, she's seen where the money's flowing, so she's altered course. Um, as Piers has said at our last event in Manchester, you know, the destination, it's, it really is never north to south. You're going to make different stop-offs. You might end up um, slightly off track and you might need to write your course, um, but it's massively important having that destination in mind. And lastly, um, what I just touched on really, further expanding that is having a clear vision. So having that destination in mind so you know exactly where you need to get to. Um, so that's going to that's going to place a massive help for you when making decisions within the business. And you, you know, we all make uh, many, many decisions, very small decisions during the course of a day, during the course of a week, a month, quarter, a year. Um, you know, there's very few massive decisions that we're going, going to make, but there's going to be lots and lots of small decisions. And if we are very clear in our vision, very clear where our destination lies, then that's going to frame each of those many decisions and make them make you far more decisive um, in acting upon that. Because without that, indecision creeps in, um, ambiguity creeps in, and it makes life far, far more difficult. Um, makes your job very difficult as, as a founder, co-founder within the business, senior management, etc., to, to get there. So that is key. So... Um, Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. As I said, next week's episode, um, getting ahead of the game, um, episode 100, which I <laughs> cannot believe that we've got there. This started off as a passion project um, when I was a business advisor at Virgin Startup and has now morphed into you know my own business, a startup you, with the live events and podcasts for Screw It, Just Do It. Um, and I'm super proud to have got to this stage where we're in 96 countries would love to get to 100 as i say so please share uh, if you haven't left a review of the podcast yet i would love to know what you think of it um please let me know um at alex chisnell um for linkedin twitter alex at startupu.co.uk for email love to see you at one of our live events uh love for you to to jump on the podcast next week and Review 2018, but more importantly, going to be asking you questions with regards to 2019, and we're going to plan that out to get you very clear in your vision, what you want to achieve, um, and make it the most successful year ever for you. So, see you next week. If you like this podcast and you'd like the opportunity to attend one of our live events with some of the world's leading entrepreneurs, just go to startupu.co.uk and click on the events calendar. You'll be able to see our upcoming events calendar for the UK. Pick up a ticket from as little as £10, which includes complimentary drinks and the opportunity to meet and connect with like-minded entrepreneurs, find a mentor or an investor. You'll also have the opportunity to meet our speakers and ask them your burning questions in person. 
Hope to see you there. If you're an entrepreneur looking to start or scale their business, then I'd love to help you. Being part of the Startup You community means we can help you in a number of ways. Simply go to Facebook and find Startup You Club through the different groups on there and join. We can help you in a number of different ways through daily inspiration and education, through to accessing funding, investment and mentoring. In fact, pretty much anything that you'll need on your startup journey. And if you've got a great story that you'd like to share, then I'd also love to hear from you. Just go to startupu.co.uk, click on the contact page and drop me a message. I'd also love to connect with you personally. It's at Alex Chisnell on LinkedIn and Twitter and at Alexander Chisnell on Instagram. And if you enjoyed listening to this particular episode, then please subscribe and I'd massively appreciate a review. All you need to do is click on the ratings and review tab on iTunes and leave us your thoughts on there. Until the next show, remember, don't wait. The time will never be right. Action always beats intention. So just screw it. Just do it. This show is brought to you by RocketSpark, who make it easy for anyone to build a great-looking website. Each month, RocketSpark offer one lucky listener the opportunity to get a website absolutely free for the next six months to do some in-market testing of a new idea. Just go to rocketspark.com slash screw it, just do it to enter.